Hello, this is Matthew Johnson, and I'm the pastor of the sanctuary here in Columbus, Indiana. Welcome to our podcast. I pray today's message inspires and challenges you. Feel free to visit us at thesanctuary.church if we can serve you in any other way. So now, let's head to church where we are in session. Amen. Are you guys excited to be in the house of the Lord on a snowy Wednesday? Amen, amen. You can be seated. Uh, had this all prepared last week, and it worked out good, I guess, because pastor was not able to get back in town, so he wasn't going to be able to speak tonight. And so we just pushed it forward a week. And so this has been in the works for a few months here, uh, what, I've been, what I'm going to teach today. Me and Pastor Johnson have been talking about this for a couple of months. And so I know some of it may be a little hard hitting in some areas and we're moving in the right direction through this, what I'm talking about. And it's something that's in my own life that I have been working on in myself because it's something that God has showed me that I needed to work on for myself. So don't think I'm standing up here thinking I have it all together because I will admit openly that I struggle with what I'm going to teach on tonight. And so a lot of times you have to go through some things and learn yourself before you can help others. And so that I'm in that process right now. So I'm going to talk tonight on resetting your spiritual mind. Resetting your spiritual mind. You see, we are living in a culture in a society in which the carnal mindset seems to be magnified while the spiritual way of thinking seems to be growing more and more rare. The carnal or fleshly way of thinking or communicating has become so prevalent that spiritually minded conversation a lot of times makes us feel uncomfortable. We just don't know what to do with spiritually minded conversation. Fill in the blank. The problem with carnality is it is easy to recognize in someone else. But we try to justify it in our own carnal ways. I'm going to have them play this little video here. It's a commercial. I know you've all seen it. It's funny. But I thought it fit right along with what we're talking about tonight. Alright everyone, you made it. My job is to help new homeowners who have turned into their parents. I'm having a big lunch and then just a snack for so dinner. So we're using a speakerphone in this store. Is that a good idea? One of the ways I do that is to get them out of the home. You're looking for a grout brush. Gardens, did he ask for your help? No. 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 We all see it. We all see it. Yes, blue hair. Okay. Blue. Progressive can protect you from becoming your parents, but we can protect your home and auto when you bundle with us. Keep it coming. You don't know him. We all see it. We all see it. He's got blue hair. The problem is, just as in that video, carnality sometimes is easy to spot. It's very easy to see in somebody else, but the video also was talking about growing up to be like your parents. Once you start adulting and once you start acting like an adult, you end up being like your parents. And so 
as parents in this room, as the young people are next door, what we do as adults, the next generation will follow and will go even further than what the limits that we set they're going to push those limits and go a little further than what even we went. What is accepted in one generation will become the expectation in the next. Or what is tolerated in one generation will become normal in the next. That is why what we do as parents and adults is so important in shaping the culture of our homes and shaping the culture of this church because if we want this church to be a spiritually minded revival church, it starts in what we teach in our home and what we live and portray in front of our children. If we don't model what it is to be spiritually minded, the ones that are coming after us will not have the roadmap to know how to live an overcoming life. I've heard it said my whole life, and I used to kind of laugh at it, but it's true. The apostolic church is one generation away from being extinct. Because if we don't pass apostolic truth, apostolic lifestyle on to the next generation, then they're not going to pass it on to their children. And in one generation, we can lose what has been handed down to us from generation to generation to generation. I heard a friend of mine say it just a couple weeks ago, and immediately I, I was sitting there watching one of his services, and I text Pastor Johnson and text a few of my friends because it hit me so hard. And it said, it is a short walk from glory to goofy. It's a short walk from the presence of God to just going out of control. But he made this comment, it's a long way from carnal to glory. And I would rather have just a little goofy and isolate it than to have a church full of carnality. I don't know about you, but that hit me hard. Because many of you know me, and, and man, I can have a good time with the best of them. Man, I love to laugh. I love to cut up. I'm the one always trying to lighten the mood of the room. If something gets too serious, I'm going to be the jokester that tries to lighten the mood because I don't like tense, serious moments. And so the carnal side of me props up quite a bit, and it shows itself. And, and I feel like if we are going to see the glory of God at work in our lives, we have to rid ourselves of the carnality that we've allowed to come in and take root in our lives. Romans said it this way, Romans 5, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. This next is a fill in the blank. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then that they that are in the flesh cannot please God, but ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you, now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his, and if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But the Spirit of Him who that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwell in you. He that raised... 
He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by this spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, but to live after the flesh. For if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. But through the spirit, ye do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many are led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. The New Living Translation, part of that, I love the New Living Translation because sometimes it breaks it down into common language that we speak today and not just the King's English. And so it says, for those who are dominated by their sinful nation, uh, nature, think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit, think about the things that please the Spirit. So let your sinful nature Control your mind leads to net to death. Letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting your spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. For, though, for that's why those that are still under control of their sinful nature cannot please God. So the next fill in the blank is carnal people cannot please God. It's impossible to please God. You may ask, well, what is carnal? What do you mean by carnal? It simply means pertaining to the flesh, fleshly, sensual, being in a natural state, lustful. Carnality means fleshly lust or desires. Grossness of mind or desires, a love of sensual pleasures. Another fill in the blanks, it was a quote by T.D. Jakes that I heard him say, and it, I thought it was very significant. It said, if you, you don't have to sin to be carnal. People who are carnal just means they make all of their decision based on their senses. Carnal does not mean that it, you're sinful. It just means that there is so much flesh in your life that it roots out and it weeds out the spirit. That's why the Bible tells us in 1 John to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world passeth away in the lust thereof, but he that does the will of God abideth forever. The lust of the world, all that's in the world is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Fill in the blank. We all battle three things. And Bishop has talked about this as long as I've been here. But it talks about, he talks about the flesh, the world, and the devil. You see, we give the devil a lot of credit for things that he doesn't have anything to do with. Because a lot of times it's just our flesh and our carnality creeping up in our own life. The enemy didn't have to do anything with it because our mindset was so carnal to start with. He didn't even have to place a snare there because we fell into it on our own out of our nature. Our flesh 
is our biggest obstacle. Every day that we wake up, we have to deal with it. We have to live with this fleshly nature that we have. Each and every one of us have our own battles, our own things that we deal with, our own situations that we are pre-programmed to go to. And if we don't get that under control and get it submitted to God, it can destroy us. We give credit to the devil in a church I grew up in as a little kid. I've heard this story my whole life, and I remember it slightly. I think I remember it more because of how many times I heard the story. I think I remember it, but I was awful young. But there was a lady in our church, and she was asked to come forward to lead the song service after testimony service. Thank God we don't do that anymore. But as she was walking up onto the platform, she tripped on the final step and sprawled out flat on the platform. And she got up and she goes, I hate the devil. Really? The devil made you be clumsy? That was the devil's fault? No, that's... That's life. That just happens. We blame the devil. Sometimes I think he sits back and says, okay, I'll take credit. Like, if you want to give me credit for that, I had nothing to do with it, but yeah, I'll take credit for it. We give the devil credit for a lot of things that is just our flesh or our carnal mindset. Second Timothy says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, tra traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof, from such turn away. For this is the sort that which creep into houses and led silly uh, women laden with sins away, led away by diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, of the truth. Always learning. Always wanting more. Always having to have... More knowledge, more knowledge, more knowledge. I wonder sometimes if our pursuit of more knowledge gets in the way of our pursuit of more of Him. Not that more knowledge is wrong. Trust me, I, I'm the guy that I listen to probably two books a week on audiobook. I listen to podcasts like crazy. I fill my brain full of more stuff, wanting more knowledge, more knowledge, more knowledge. But there's sometimes I just have to shut it off and focus on God because I get so consumed with everything that I'm putting into my mind that I don't ever allow time for God to put into my mind because I'm trying to learn and trying to be better and sometimes it gets in the way of what God is really wanting to speak. Fill in the blank all too often. The church holds up a mirror reflecting back the society around it rather than a window revealing a different way. Philip Yancey. There should be such a difference in the way that we live that those around us, that it reveals a window or a door to a better way. 
And that better way is a life surrendered to Jesus Christ. They should see that there is something different about our life. Not just the way we dress, not just the way we, we come to church on Sunday, but there should be something in our life that sets us apart. There should be something when things are being said around us that are inappropriate that they feel uncomfortable saying that in our midst. That there's something different about us that says there's a different and a better way to live. I'm not judging you, but you can see that I know that that's not right. And they look at you and say, there's something different there. There's a better way to live. And so we should allow our lives to speak and to open a window or a door to a better way of life, a life surrendered to Jesus. When Jesus told his disciples of the events coming, surrounding his betrayal and the death on the cross. He began to speak, and in Mark 8 it says he spoke, spake to them openly about it, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Now, now understand, just before this, Jesus says, who do men say that I am? Right before this portion, and some say, well, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Elijah. And they go through all this, and then Peter stands up and says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus looks at him and says, Upon this rock I will build my church. And then right after this, he, he begins to tell them what's going to happen, and Peter turns and rebukes him. And when he turned around to look on his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savoreth not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. In one moment, he had a revelation of who Jesus was. In the next moment, he let his carnality sneak up. And he said, no, 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 God, I, no, Jesus, I'm not going to let them do that to you. When that was the will of God the whole time, Jesus had to die in order to be, purchase our salvation, die on the cross in order to wash our sins away and to wipe it away by the blood of Jesus. And Peter was standing in the way. One moment he has a revelation of who Jesus was and was operating in the Spirit. And the next moment, carnality had snuck up. And Jesus looks at him and says, Get thee behind me, Satan. For thou savoreth not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. The New Living says, You are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. What point of view is your default setting? When things start going a little haywire in your life, what is your default? Do you run to God or do you run to your carnal mind? He goes on right after that and it says, And when he had called the people unto his disciples, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. Fill in the blank. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? If we do, another fill in the blank here, if we don't have a spiritual mindset, 
then the spiritual things will seem foolish. If we don't have a spiritual mindset, the spiritual things will seem foolish. Right after the first of the year when we were on our fast and we were having a work day here on a Saturday morning and we were over painting, I had come over early that morning to spend some time in prayer before we started work day. And I was kneeling down here in the front and all of a sudden I'm, I'm praying and I felt like God spoke to me and said, I did not call you to go from glory to carnality to glory. I called you to move from glory to glory. A lot of times we spend a majority of our time when we come into our prayer session trying to get past the carnality and trying to get past all of the mistakes and, and repent over all the stuff when if we would walk in the Spirit every day, every moment of the day, we would pray without ceasing like the Scripture says where we have a spiritual mindset. I'm not talking about being off in la-la land and goofy, but sometimes we get to the place... Where we can walk out of the presence of God and walk out of an amazing service like we've been having around here where God's power just sweeps through this place and all of a sudden by the time we get to our car, our carnal mind has crept up and we begin to go back to our default setting of carnality and the flesh speaking and stop thinking about what God just did. I wonder what would happen in our church and in our homes if we didn't have to fight the carnality so much but we still stayed in the Spirit and we went from glory to glory to glory instead of trying to get through the carnality every day. In 2 Corinthians 10, it says, Now I, Paul, appeal to you with gentleness and kindness of Christ. Though I realize you think I'm a timid, timid in person and bold only when I write from a far away. Well, I am begging you now so that when I come, I won't have to be bold with those who think we act from human motives. We are human, but we do not rage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down stronghold of human reasoning, to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture every rebellious thought and teach them to obey Christ. And after you have become fully obedient, we will punish everyone who remains disobedient. We know that in the King James, it, it was up there on the screen in the King James, that we do not war after the flesh, but after the spirit, against principalities, against powers, all of that stuff. We wage war not on a human level, but on a spiritual level. And we have to bring every thought captive. Every thought. Every time a negative thought comes into your mind, and this is one of my this is one of my default settings. When things start going wrong, I am the hardest guy on myself. I immediately turn negative on myself, and I begin to think, "Oh, this is this is my fault. I've done something." And so I've had to try to train myself. And like I said, this is a work in progress. I am not there yet, but I've tried to control that thought and say, "No, I've got to bring that thought 
under subjection and bring it to the knowledge of Christ. Forget thinking about it in the flesh. Forget thinking about it through my own mind. I've got to look at things through the Spirit. Fill in the blank. Negative, carnal thoughts will leave you wandering in the wilderness of uncertainty and doubt. Negative, carnal thoughts will leave you wandering in a wilderness of uncertainty and doubt. Why did the children of Israel wander in the wilderness for 40 years? Because they believed the report of 10 spies that had a carnal mindset and looked at the obstacles in front of them instead of the promises of God. Only two came back, Joshua and Caleb, and said, we are well able... We believe the promises of God. We're going to walk in faith. We know that God has promised it. We're going to move in faith and conquer what God told us to conquer. But the ten came and said, oh, we can't do it. Yeah, the fruit's there. The, the grapes are there. You know, man, it's the land of milk and honey. But, can it, but man, when we look, there's giants in the land. There's these obstacles out there in front of us. And the, one of the worst lines, or whole script, one of the worst scriptures in the whole Bible is this. And we were but grasshoppers in their, sight, in their eyes. And so we were in our own eyes. They talked themselves out of a miracle. Because when they looked at the obstacle, they said, we're small compared to that obstacle. And so in their own eyes, they started saying, we're too small. They talked themselves right out of a miracle. And can I tell you, they didn't just talk, the ten didn't just talk themselves out of it. Once the people of Israel heard the report, they didn't even wait for Moses to talk. Moses was hearing the report back from the spies, and they didn't even wait for the man of God's direction. It says that night, all the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. The night after they heard that the report of the ten spies that were negative, that were carnal, they said, We can't do it. God promised it, but we can't do it. And they wept all night. You could say that that's the night that Israel lost faith. That's the night that they lost faith in God. And not one of them, except for Joshua and Caleb, not one of them that wept and cried that night and believed the evil report of the ten spies, not one of them was able to enter the promise except for Joshua and Caleb who came back and said, we are well able. Pastor Johnson felt led by the Spirit back at the first Sunday of this year that we should reopen church, that we were on the point of what God was wanting to do, and if we didn't move, we could miss our window of opportunity. In seven weeks since that point, we have had 13 baptized in Jesus' name and at least eight filled with the Holy Ghost. What would have happened if pastor wouldn't have followed the Spirit? When God woke him up and told him, it's time to go. It's time to go. We've got to go. What would have happened if we hadn't followed the Spirit? What would have happened if we would have lost faith? 
We wouldn't be walking in the promise that we're walking in right now. I'm standing here telling you if that hadn't happened, my daughter wouldn't have received the Holy Ghost the third week of this year in the service. I don't know when she would have received it, but that was her moment. And we were able to be here that Sunday. And so God did what He could do. I wonder how many opportunities and how many things of God that we miss out on because we are not sensitive to the Spirit of God. Corinthians says it in chapter 3. Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk to you as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. I had to feed you with milk, not with solid food because you weren't ready for anything stronger. And you still aren't ready, for you are still controlled by your sinful nature. You are jealous of one another and quarrel with each other. Doesn't that prove that you are still controlled by your sinful nature? Aren't you living like the people of the world? And then they begin to bicker among themselves. Well, some say I'm of Apollos. Some say I'm of Paul. They, they begin to argue. And you go down to verse 9. It says, for we are both God's workers. And you are God's field. You are God's building. Because, God's, because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Now others are building on it. But whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For, for no one can lay any other foundation other than that one which was already laid or we already have, Jesus Christ. Anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of material, gold, silver, jewels, whey, wood, hay, or straw. But on judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. I'm going to skip down and I'm going to go to a story of my uncle that I just heard a couple weeks ago when I was out skiing with my cousins. And I couldn't get it off of my mind as I came back. So my uncle was out and he likes to go out. He lives out here between uh, Columbus and Shelbyville out in the country, kind of out toward Marietta. Well, if you know Uncle Roy, he's a, little, he's a little different. He's eccentric, to say the least. But he likes to just go out to these estate sales and these farm sales. And when you're at these auctions, all of a sudden they'll say, all right, we're going to clear the barn. Here's a box. It's a dollar. Who will take it? And so he sees a horse's bit in this box, and he thought, oh, well, I can at least sell that for $5, so I'll give you a dollar for it. He takes it home. He stores it in the garage. He doesn't even remember when he bought it. Well, he goes to cleaning out the garage right before Thanksgiving and he came across two containers in this box. And on the box, or on the container, it had some writing of a company that, that dealt in jewelry materials. 
And so if you'll show the first picture of that gold-looking material. So he opens it up and he sees all this gold-fine powder. And so he begins to think. He calls his son and he says, who deals in financial uh, things. And he goes, son, I think I have just stumbled across gold in a dollar box that I bought at a farm sale. And so Joe goes, well, tell me all the information on the container. And so he begins to tell him the name of the company. So Joe's sitting there wise on the phone. He types it in the computer, gets the telephone number for the company, calls the company, puts them on three-way with his dad. And the guy goes, yeah, uh, that's one of our containers. Uh, we use that to travel around and we would melt it down for jewelry. So it's probably gold. And so he said, what does the label say? So he began to tell him. So Joe set up, well, go to the next picture first. There was just a gray glob. In the other one, there was just a gray glob that didn't look like much, had the same writing from the Satan company. So Joe sets up, when he comes in for Thanksgiving, he sets up this arrangement with this company in Indianapolis that's in the middle. I... He told me where it was, and he goes, there's millions of dollars of gold just sitting in this warehouse, and nobody even knows it's there. And I was thinking, well, the neighborhood that it's in, it's probably a really good thing nobody knows it's there. Because it's in a pretty rough area of Indianapolis. So he sets up a meeting with this company, and they have a machine, a little laser gun that they can shoot down into the container... And they can tell you exactly what chemical or what minerals are in there. And so they, they shoot it down in the stuff that looks gold. And, and it ended up being 50% silver, 3% nickel. But it contained a toxic material called cadmium. That when refined produces a fume that will kill anyone in the room. They can't even melt it down. They can't do anything with it because it's so toxic. But that little speck of gray dust, gray glob there, they said, do you want us to shoot that and see what it is? I said, yeah, let's go for it. 82% gold, 18% nickel. When they melted it down, it was so pure that that little glob ended up, go to the next picture, making a gold bar that was about the size of his, a little bit smaller than the fingers on his hand. But that little glob was worth almost $9,000. The company took 25%. He walked out of there with right about $6,000, a little over $6,000 in his hand from a dollar barn fine. Because what looked like it was nothing when melted down and put through the fire was worth a lot. And Joe does financial conferences and churches all around the country, so he's used that like crazy the last couple months. But I could not get my mind off of the fact what that other container that had more material in it that looked like gold that would have been very valuable except for one thing. It had something toxic mixed in with it. 
that could not be refined. And I felt the Lord check my spirit and say, that is what carnality does in a child of God's life. It looks great. It looks valuable. It looks like it's going to be worth a lot. But when it's melted down, when it's put under pressure, when it goes to be refined, it becomes so toxic that it kills everything that is around it. What should have been worth a lot ended up being worthless because of the fumes from the toxins. When we get under pressure, what fumes are we expelling? Is it deadly to those around us? All you have to do is watch somebody go through a trial. Watch somebody get pressure put on them. And you'll begin to see what's really inside of them. Because when they begin to have pressure and they begin to be refined, all of a sudden, sometimes that carnal spirit or those things that aren't supposed to be there, they begin to come out. The negativism, the, the trying to tear down others, the, the things of this world that are in their spirit, when they're put under pressure, that is what comes out and it becomes toxic to everybody that they're around. People can't even be around them because if they're around them and they breathe in those toxins, they can die. Revelation says, I know thy works, talking to the church at Laodicea, that thou art neither hot or cold. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased in goods and have need of nothing. See, that's the carnal mind right there. I, I, I don't need anything. God, I'm self-sufficient. I, I can handle it. I've got a great job. I've got money in the bank. I don't have to worry about where my next meal's coming from. I don't have to worry about how I'm going to pay my, my payments. I don't have to worry about any of that. I, I'm fine. I don't need you, God. I'm increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, and that thy shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, and that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, be jealous, or be zealous therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and sat down at the Father of his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. I challenge you, counsel thee, to buy of me gold. As Brother Gordon comes, I wonder what would happen if when we begin to feel, there, the other side of that story is the company asked my cousin, can we keep this? There's one company that we know in New York that has the equipment to melt down that silver and be able to get the valuable stuff out. 
and get rid of the toxins without. They've got the, they've got the setup that they can do it. And I felt like God told me that in this house that we're in right now, we have the setup to be able to remove the toxins from the silver, from the gold, so that it can be a pure gold. It can be valuable. It can be what you need it to be. But the only way that happens is when you allow it to come forth and you come down here and you say, God, I can't do this. I can't handle it on my own. God, I want this carnality out of my life. I want to be able to walk in the Spirit. I want to be able to see the things that you want me to see. Like Elisha, when he looked and he was surrounded and he said, he prayed for his servant and said, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And when he opened his eyes, he saw there was a host encamped about him. In the natural, it looked like he was going to be defeated. In the carnal mind, it looked like he would be defeated. But in the spiritual, God already had it worked out. As we stand all over this place, Romans says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin, for that which I do, I do, I allow not. For what I would, that, I, that do I not. But what I hate, that I do. That, that sounds like my life. What, what I feel, like, what I know I should do, I, I never seem to do it right. But that which I know I'm not supposed to do, why in the world is that always what I end up doing? what I know I'm not supposed to do. <laughs> and he said, if then I do not what I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more I that do it, but the sin that dwelleth in me. It's just the toxin. It's that carnal nature inside of me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, but how to perform that is that is good, that which is good, I, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil that I would not, that I do. You see the struggle Paul's having here? Paul's going through the same struggle that each of us go through. <laughs> he said, I find then a law. That when I would do good, evil is always present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Paul lets us understand, even Paul, who was a Hebrew of all Hebrews, he was trained in, in, in all of the things of the law. He was a bright guy. He, he, he did everything he was supposed to do. He was jealous for God. He, he served Him with passion. 
He gave up so much to spread the gospel. And he just says, man, when I look, that inside of me, there's, a, there's something that's warring inside of me. That which I don't want to do, I seem to do. And that which I know to do, I, I don't always do. I wish there was some way I could get away from this. But he found the only way. In Scripture, he talks about, I die daily. I have to crucify this flesh daily. If I don't want to fulfill the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, I have to die daily. I know that this is a little hard on a Wednesday night, but I wonder if there's anybody that would admit like me, yeah, I let my mind and I let my nature and I let carnality control a lot of what I do. But I want to lay it on the altar tonight and ask God to burn it out. Ask God to remove that carnal nature so that I could see through the Spirit. As they begin to sing, I open these altars to you for just a few moments. We have about 10 minutes till classes come out. I wonder if there's anybody that'll say, God, I want you to restore my spiritual mind. I want you to restore my spiritual thought patterns. Oh, God. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast today. If you need more information, visit us at thesanctuary.church. And we pray that in the days to come, God continues to bless and guide you in Jesus' name.